Hi everyone, my name is Beata Vilcek and this is Fashion Knowledge, a podcast educating, disrupting and shaping fashion futures. Fashion Knowledge is brought to you by Unfolding Strategies, a consultancy and education lab for digital, inclusive and sustainable fashion in Web3. Hi, welcome. Today we have an amazing guest. Uh, her name is Marie Genevieve Sear. She's a fashion designer, artist, and educator. Marie is a director of the BFA Fashion Design Program and an associate professor of fashion design at Parsons School of Design in New York. She has an MA in visual culture and fashion theory from New York University and BA in design of applied art from Edinburgh College of Arts. Her research lies on the discourse of material and visual culture looking at the advertisement, rethinking design methodologies, and the global identity. Her most recent research examines hyperreality, hyperconsumption, Asian pop culture, and the internet. In her work, she often examines post-internet artistic strategies and how they can impact the fashion design practices. And I hope this is something we're going to dive a little bit deeper into today. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you here. So as we start, maybe we can we can start thinking, you know, how in your practice fashion and the internet overlap? What is the relationship and why is it even interesting to look at them together? Yeah. I mean I think I think I started really looking at I think my entire work started with looking at hyperconsumption as well, like in two thousand sixteen. I started to spend a lot of time in China in general as well, and I was really interested uh, with the relationship between advertisement and landscape as well, and how fashion was presented as well, not necessarily produced, but presented as well. And it was really, really interesting to me, this relationship between how do they actually advertise um, fashion. And then, of course, hyperconsumption, this idea that <clears throat> clothing or fashion is kind of everywhere as well, and it's so present in every single thing in our life. And I think that's when it kind of started as well, like for me, this idea of hyperconsumption before I even looked at the internet, you know, that kind of where it uh, happened. But then the reason why I started to look at um, the internet is at some point I was in Toronto, I think it was in 2016 as well, or even like 14. And I saw an exhibition of um, uh, Douglas Copeland as well, you know. And I started to read the book *The Age of Earthquakes*. Or wait, sorry, *The Age of Earthquakes*. And it was just really interesting when I started to really think about, you know, how we're using language as well, just in general, uh, to create, to really kind of like talk about this hyperconsumption and the world we live in as well. And I think that's after reading this book, I remember on the flight back to New York, that I was really interested in maybe looking more about the impact of the internet in the language. So that's kind of how it started as well. Like I was really interested how the internet impacted the way we were thinking about language, you know, and words. I think that's where it started for me to look at the internet, you know. So it was not really about how do we sell clothes and how do we produce clothes and how do we market clothes? I was not interested in that, you know, I was really interested in like the impact on how we actually talk about fashion and design. So before we jump to talking more about words, because I have some cool quotes from uh, your your garments uh, and I will share them in a second, I would like to maybe understand a bit more. What do you mean when you say pause internet artistic strategies? 
you know, what are they? Because you are thinking how to apply them to fashion design. This is what you work with. So what are those post-internet artistic strategies? Yeah, so I think um, some years ago, I started to look at what was happening in the art world, because I think for me, it's always very important to look at what's happening in the art world, because, you know, the artists are really manifesting like new ideas that are happening in society as well. So for me, I started to look at this and I really started to really look at um, a lot of internet artists, obviously looking at the history of internet art, you know, all the way from the 90s and like how it's been impacting as well, how artists are thinking about art, are developing art, are making art as well. And I was really interested between this relationship between the uh, online and offline. But I think that's what relates to the post-internet as well. Usually it's kind of like these like strategies looking and critiquing practices that exist online or ideas that are being developed because of the internet, but in a physical manifestation. And especially since fashion often is like a physical manifestation that we wear on our bodies, I was really interested in looking a little bit more about this like post-internet art practice that kind of started around like 2000, you know, like uh, 10, uh, you know, or so on as well. And just like this new generation of artists that was really interested, this idea of, yeah, going to exhibition and experiencing something physically, physically, but then that relates to the online experience. So yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And that's what it means, this idea of post-internet. It's not like internet art that existed online. You know, there was like art that was often made for the online ideas online, but that kept like the digital aspect as well. So I think that's the difference with the post-internet to think about, no, it's actually something that is physical, you know? Uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I started to really look at this as well. And I was really interested in, how this idea of the post-internet like art practice could impact our fashion design students, like really thinking about how that's impacting research and design processes, you know, that is really where my interest is in. Yeah, I, I think this is something that really intrigued me about your work, and I can clearly see that, because in around 2012, 2014, I was very personally involved with post-internet art. I did shows with like some, some artists like Katya Novitskova as a curator. I even wrote my, you know, first master thesis, no, second master thesis on like post-internet bodies, you know, whereas in body, all of that. But it's something that I always lack that I see in your work is like this relationship to fashion. There's a lot of post-internet art that was, um, or post-digital art. People like to, you know, differentiate that, but let's say it's same, same uh, in terms of our conversation. Like there was very little that, that was about fashion. There was a lot about textiles and using textiles by means, you know, of producing this physical work within the space as you just described so this is what i really like and one of your projects that i first came across was your captains um and your captains for those who need to now imagine them because they don't know how your work looks like they're very uh, minimal when it comes to pattern cutting it's like you would take a square or rectangle and just make hole for your head and hole for your hands and then you can wear it and it becomes a captain but what is very particular about them it's the it's the prints uh, that are very rich and intense. So strong colors, playful topography. And apart from their aesthetics, they have a very, very powerful lyrical value. Um, and some say this is hot, other tune and noun. My personal favorite um, reads Dark Web Grunt, New Extravaganza, Total Fucking Darkness. Data makes sense to Noble Madame Design. May the stoop sale be with you. Um, so it's almost like you're making like some verbal dupes using today's language, you know, like a digital language collage. So why is language so important 
to you in your work? Oh, God, yes. Um, yeah, thank you for talking about, yeah, the captains. Uh, yeah, I, I call them captains, but they're like, you know, they're tunique or, you know, there's something like you mentioned, they're really basic rectangles as well. And I think for me, that was really important to, I mean, actually the, the idea behind that came from advertisement, you know, almost like this idea of a panel being an advertise, like that's how it really started as well. So it was not just about that. It was not really about a captain or a tunique and the historical references behind that necessarily. It was more looking at advertisement as our garments obviously are used as advertisement in our online world right now, you know, and of course, like a zero waste cutting, you know, and it's very genderless or gender free, if you wish as well. So for me, like that was like really important to have some kind of shape as well. That was very minimal. But yeah, it's a language. Yeah, because again, fashion has become this like image object or like you mentioned, like the neo-materialism as well, that is important. So and this idea that fashion can be performative or like be a form of advertisement online, you know, that was really a, an idea that I was playing with. But the language, yeah, I think I think it's related to my hyperconsumption um, kind of research where I throughout the year like gather a lot of like quotes or took photos of text as well when I was traveling. And um, in 2019, you know, I actually had a sabbatical at work to do more research and I had time as well for a month to sit down and just like gather all of this and put this together. And some of it, like it's from conversations, you know, it's not, sometimes it's from online, sometimes it's screenshots, sometimes it's photographs of advertisement that I've seen. So it's kind of between this hyperconsumption and also uh, the internet, you know, that's kind of coming from both angles. And but yeah, and sometimes it's conversation as well, you know, and it was really interesting. And for me, like the fact that it doesn't have to be only one language, um, that was something interesting to me because uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm Canadian and I grew up in a small town that only speaks French as well all my life. Yeah. But this idea for us is very present as well, where I'm from. This part of Quebec, the Gaspé Coast, so even New Brunswick, everybody speaks both language. And uh, we call it Chiac, where they mix French and English, and it's all messy. And I think, to me, that relates to the internet, this kind of mishmash of things or language, like between this visual and the words coming together. And I think that's where it was really interesting to me, this idea that why I'm someone, my first language is French, why am I only writing, you know what I mean, or expressing myself in English? So for me, I wanted to to think about it as well. You know, the fact that sometimes I can use internet language, sometimes English, sometimes French, sometimes other as well. Like there's some Chinese like quotes in there. Well, you know, that is all related to my experience and the different languages that I'm familiar with. So I thought it was kind of interesting. But yeah, so you see that the captains sometimes they have different stories depending on different tribals that I've been doing as well, you know, throughout my life. Um, but yeah, they're all very different, you know, and uh, yeah. And the one thing I'm just going to also say, there was something later on I realized uh, really recently as well, is that a long time ago, I I met like uh, Margaret Hatwood, um, you know, the author. And anyway, the one that did the uh, Handmaid's uh, Tale, uh, you know, Handmaid's Tale. And Margaret Hatwood, I met her in Toronto in 2006 or something in the and it was like a huge gala event. And she was wearing a dress that was the front and the back of her book. 
And I realized later on that it was really probably like an influence on my work, this idea to wear your own work or to wear an advertisement of your own work that was kind of interesting as well. Oh, I love that. I love that uh, she was wearing her own book as her outfit. She's basically her book. I love that. It's a great story. Uh, do you have, I, I would love to see photos of that so maybe we can um, share them across social media if we find them because it's a, it's a great reference point. Um, and how do you see this digital language evolving? Because you were mentioning that this work and this interest is like, you know, you were pointing at that time in 2014, 2016. Um, how do you, um, how do you see it evolving? How is it transforming? How does digitalization is impacting also the language and the way you work with it today? Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, we're going through obviously like new visual literacy as well and how we work with images, but also how we work with words, you know, and obviously the way we the way we communicate online really had an impact, I think, on, on the way students perhaps or even like, you know, professors are talking about their own work as well. And I think like even looking at lexicon, like I'm really keen on having students develop the lexicon for their work as well, you know, and words are very important when you actually talk about your work, you know, and first of all, for instance, like you can look at different artists as well, right? So if you look at, for example, Richard Serra, you know, a very kind of a traditional artist, but this idea that he used terms like, you know, he used terms like to roll, to fold, to store, to bend, to twist, you know, I mean, this to shave, to so this idea of using verbs and specific words that describe your work, I think that's very important. Thinking about the post-internet now, you know, you can, um, you know, if you look at like, if you think about like uh, Seth Price, for example, right, this idea of to digitize, to compress, to download, to blow up, you know, to, you know, all these kind of like to bookmark, to launch, to freeze to embem like there's all these beautiful kind of words that we're using online that it's just for me I'm just like how are we um translating that or you know I mean into our work you know what I mean how is this influencing the way we design now you know so so I think this whole language you know after my research on post-internet I was really interested in like thinking about new forms of writing you know like of course as a professor in academia you know we do a lot of like more uh, academic writing as well, but I really wanted to go away for this idea of uh, maybe like creative writing or like short form of writing or, you know what I mean? This, this idea of like having like tweets, you know, as a form of writing as well. These kind of micro poetry, you know, became really interesting for me as well, you know, and that's kind of what advertisement is as well. So that's why I became like, you know, really interested in words. But yeah, so just to go back, for example, right now I'm teaching uh, MFA students right now at Parson, and it's very interesting because we started with that, the importance of lexicon and choosing words to describe. Because like when you do like a fashion presentation, often like students or in general, like designers use the same kind of words or it became like really blended. So I think it's very important the way you pick your words. So yeah, and I'm really, I'm really interested. I I started like years ago a series of uh, I call it active research exercises because as a as a professor I really like to do these kind of experimental activities with my students to really unleash like new ways of looking at research and design and uh, yeah the same thing the idea of uh, acting or uh, action verbs you know what I mean picking verbs and like for example to freeze and really unpack what that means you know what I mean culturally historically 
you know, politically as well, how we're translating that through physical form, digital form. And I think that is something that is very interesting to me as well, just to kind of like develop a design process based on lexicon. Yeah. So if we're talking about teaching, how, what, what other, what other things in terms of digital culture, apart from evolving language and importance of lexicon that you mentioned now, how the current digitalization, how do you see it entering um, into your teaching practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> digital world is everywhere and every day and at all times. So it is not like a, a specific like method or tools or, you know, like software as well. And I think, I think technology, like, you know, I always tell my students, like, these are just additional tools, the same as a sewing machine, you know what I mean? So just to think about, you can use obviously all these digital software as well, part of your process, you know, not only software, but I'm just thinking obviously with like AI and chat GPT, you know, and all of this as well to make sure they understand this is not um, a tool that's going to make decisions necessary for you as a designer. These are tools to help you think in new ways or approach your work in new ways in a way, you know what I mean? Or new thinking or give you a new perspective, you know? And um, one thing as well with AI, you know, um, I talk a lot about um, the idea of stereotypes, you know, like there's a lot of parts of AI that it's still problematic less well, like to me, because it's like, there's a lot of like stereotype in terms of the way you add language or the way you engage with the AI as well. And the idea of data, whereas data is coming from, it's always like a challenge. So I talk a lot about that as well. This idea of, you know, um, where archive, you know, where what's the ownership, what's the provenance of these images as well, you know, because I've done some exercises with my students where you put, let's say, uh, uh, I don't know, like a specific culture and it became like so stereotyped and very kind of shocking and very problematic as well. The way AI was constructing, you know, I mean, a various stereotype or stereotypical identity. So I think that there's still some work to do in that sense in terms of inclusion and like, you know, where's the data coming from with the AI? But uh, yeah, I also, I always say that it's like a tool, the same way as they're using like cloth 3D for their pattern cutting or whatever, like this, you know, it's, it's a tool, you know what I mean? It's not the end of something, you know? And I think for them, it's important to also understand that. I, I, I share with you this approach towards like collaborative and knowledge and creativity expanding practices for now. I think this is, this is great in that context. Um, yeah. And speaking of cultures, so first time I think I got access to Midjourney. I tried to make like a birthday invite uh, as I'm Polish. My friend was Polish. We're doing a birthday party together when we typed in, you know, two Polish women celebrating birthday and it gave us some very romanticized 19th century village style where two women were making butter in some kind of folk-ish Slavic outfit. So that was very far from our body representation, our culture, our fashion as being up. So definitely it's uh there's cultural stereotypical components. It's uh very, very big and very present. One thing that I also wanted to ask you about is your work um, in China, because I because I know that you spend there some time. So I'm also curious how this kind of um, yeah understanding of globality and particular cultures how how is that important to your work? Yeah. Oh, um, yes. I mean, I, I mean, okay. I, 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 I I'm love China. I'm fascinated by China, but it's also, I think I started to go there, like I was saying earlier, I think in 2016. 
And for me, it was really interesting because at Parsons, we have a lot of uh, Chinese students. And for me, it became really important as well to kind of understand, you know, the cultural background of my students. And I started to do, yeah, having a lot of travels, going to a lot of town. I was giving a lot of workshops, you know, and lectures in a lot of different towns. I crushed China. So I got to know so many parts of China and culture. And it was really a beautiful way to me personally to kind of get to know a little bit like just the background of my students and understand. And then also not in addition to that as well, I started to go to Shanghai Fashion Week a lot because there were a lot of changes that were happening in the landscape there. It was really interesting for me to see all um, a lot of graduates from like, you know, LCF or Central St. Martins or Parson slowly going back to Shanghai and really changing completely the industry. So I started to go a lot. Yeah. At Shanghai Fashion Week. So that was a really, really good moment for me and like connecting the industry with some like, graduates for us. So it was kind of a really nice mix. And then, of course, I started to learn Mandarin as well. I had to, obviously, because I was going there quite often. And it was really another way, again, for me to um, to really expand on my research. It was not like I was just there like, a, I mean, of course, I was a tourist or a visitor. But for me, it was really important to be able to communicate with people. So I started to learn Mandarin. I do speak a little bit of Mandarin as well, which is amazing because I'm like, in the elevator at Parson and they speak Chinese or Mandarin around me as well and they have no idea I understand a little bit you know and it's like it's been amazing it's a secret secret yes. skill uh Greece we're eavesdropping I guess at work it seems but also we're back at language so maybe before we we conclude I wanted to also ask you again about words but this time about the book that you're writing editing uh can you tell us a bit more about that Yes, absolutely. Yes, I'm co-editing a book with uh, Dirk Reiners, um, who uh, used to be the head of EMFI, um, Amsterdam Fashion Institute as well. So we worked quite a bit uh, pre-pandemic and during the pandemic on developing this book. So there's going to be like, there are so many amazing authors as well from all around the world. And it's called Fashion Plus. It's uh, inclusive articulations and practices in design, communication and development. So for us, this book, it was really important to gather a lot of different voices and really challenge as well different writing formats. I was talking about that earlier as well to the idea of branching out from only academic writing. So in the book, it's divided into um, five different kind of areas or themes. We're looking at fashion and activism. We're looking at fashion and social justice, fashion, digitalization and technology. We're just looking at visual art as well in style and also gender. And it's very interesting because you see, of course, we have some uh, university professors, but we also have designers, photographers, uh, you know, and uh, of all abilities as well, you know. So that was really interesting. And the format, sometimes it's a conversation between two creatives. Sometimes it's more on the manifesto. Sometimes it is an academic, like more like a journal entry, if you wish, as well. And we also work with... Um, uh, a very amazing graphic designer, you know, and a graphic design team because we wanted to make sure that the visual representation in the book and the font and the text was really, really uh, kind of accessible as well. It was really important for us. And the idea that this book is not just for professors or academic, you know, I mean, this book is very open to different audiences. And I think that was a really big goal of us. So it will uh, come out uh, very soon as well. I believe uh, at the end of this fall semester. So like at the end of uh, fall 23, I'll let you know when it goes out as well. Yeah, very excited. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be looking out for it. And yeah, congrats, that's like an amazing project. Uh, thank you so much, Marie, for being here with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
If you like this podcast and you would like to see it to continue, as well as receive more information from Unfolding Strategies, please visit unfoldingstrategies.substack.com and subscribe, where you will get access to our recent insights, reading lists, and podcast episodes, as well as archive of past newsletters, talks, and episodes. Thank you for listening.